Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're, we're coming to a close of our series here pretty quickly. Uh, we will finish up uh, June 20th. That means June 27th will be Share Sunday. Share Sunday, again, is the, the idea is when we complete a series or a book of the Bible that you have an opportunity to come up into the pulpit and share what God has done in your life through his word. Um, and, and it's so important to hear testimonies and those kinds of things. And I, I think that church doesn't do that enough. So we want to give you an opportunity after we've completed something to say, like, what has God done in your life through the teaching of his word? So uh, if you would like to share on June 27th, please sign up today at the Welcome Center. Uh, we want to make sure that we have a time to connect with you and, and so we can get everything organized. But June 27th, and uh, I, I know God is, is God doing anything in your life? Only a couple of you, so that's awesome. So great. So hopefully today that will change and God will be doing something in your life that you would feel like, man, I really need to share this because God is doing something so impactful in my life that I need to share this. So with that said, stand with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Beginning in verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways for now we see in a mere dimly but then face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love will you pray with me father we thank you for your word this morning lord what a heavy chapter it is that we have before us what a convicting chapter we have before us. And we ask you this morning, Father, to help us to understand what it is and what it means to love as believers in relation to ministering through the gifts of your Spirit. We pray this morning, God, that you would convict our heart, that you would encourage us, you would challenge us today in our walk with you, Lord. We thank you that we are not the same people that we once were, but we know that there's much, much work you still are in process of doing. So do that work in us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
You know, when you come to a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you think like, wow, what, what can I say about a passage like this? Oftentimes we isolate this chapter and we, we, we make it all about love, which it is. That, that is kind of the, the subject matter, but that's not the context. The context of the passage is relating to spiritual gifts. The context of the passage begins actually in chapter 12, verse 31. Remember... Uh, in the Bible, there are no, in, in the literal letters that are written, there are no chapters and verses. When Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth, he's literally continuing on with what he just got done saying. We don't stop and break and it starts a new chapter and a new subject. We do that. We've done that as a means of being able to remember where things are and those sorts of things, which is totally fine. But that's not inspired. This is a letter to a people group who's dealing with, with a, an important subject matter of spiritual giftings. And their issue in this church is that they are not operating in the correct motive as they minister to one another. They've gotten to a place where they have an overemphasis of spiritual gifts and they have an underemphasis of the motive by which they're supposed to be ministering to one another, which is by love. God is love. The Bible, that is the definition of God. When you look at, in the Webster's Dictionary and you look up God, it says love. It doesn't really, but if you, that, that's literally what the Bible defines God as. He is love. And so it's not a strange thing for God to want you and I to, to minister in the very essence of who he is, in love. I'm calling this message ministering with the right motive. We know that uh, the Bible speaks you know, over and over and over about the fact that God is a loving God. In fact, let me give you a few verses here. John 3, 16, you know the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What is the motive of God sending his Son? Love. A couple of you are paying attention. That's awesome. So this is participatory. This is participatory. So you can answer this question. And by the way, God and Jesus are not the answer to these questions. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's the motive of God sending Christ to die for us? Love. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, listen to this, with which he loved us, past tense, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. What is the motive of God being rich in mercy and making us who were dead alive? Love. Second Thess Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us, again past tense, and gave us past tense eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. What is the motive of God in giving us eternal comfort and hope? Love. This is a small example of how Scripture declares over and over again the motive by which God does everything. Because of love. Thus it's no surprise that God would expect you and I to minister in the same manner. In the same manner. We're commanded by Scripture to do all things through love. 
Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What is the motive of man that causes us to fulfill the law? Love. love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What is the motive of man which binds everything together in perfect harmony? Love. This is called inductive Bible study, folks. 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What is the motive of man that tells the world God abides in us and has perfected us? Love. Paul declares at the end of this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, let all that you do uh, let all that you do be done in love. Love is to be the motive of everything that we do in the Christian walk. God is motivated by love, and you and I are to be motivated by that same love. Did you know that Jesus' high priestly prayer for you and I, for believers that would, all believers that would exist in the entire world forever, his prayer was this in John 17, 26, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus prayed a specific prayer that you and I would be filled with the same love that he was loved with from the Father. He wants you and I to understand the importance of that. He knows that in order for us to be effective in the world, we have to minister through the motive of love. If we don't, we will not be heard. You have all had people minister to you without love being their motive. And you know how far that went. It doesn't go very far. Jesus wants us to be effective in the world, and therefore we have to minister with the right motive. We have to minister through the motive of love. This is exactly what Paul is trying to teach the believers in Corinth. He's trying to help them to understand that it's more important to minister with the right motive than it is the way that you minister. In other words, it's more important to make sure that you're, why you're ministering rather than how you're ministering. They're so focused on how they're ministering that they could care less about why they're ministering. They're ministering to one another in this body in a way to elevate self. It's totally selfish. The church at Corinth is utilizing spiritual gifts as a means to elevate self, to say, hey, look how, look how uh, spiritual I am. Look how mature I am. And in fact, we look at this and we say, look how immature you are. Look at, look at how much you really don't understand the utilization of spiritual gifts in the body. If it's not done in love, then we're going to see here that it's worthless. It's worthless. It's, it's literally noisy, clangy, and nothingness. It's vain. That's pretty impactful. You know, oftentimes we come to a passage like this and we think like, man, I just, I guess I need to try harder. I need to work more. I need to, you know, do more and all these sorts of things. And, and, and that would be totally to miss the point of the passage. Because we're talking about the Holy Spirit here. He started the conversation in chapter 12 talking about spiritual gifts. Pastor Brian did a great job last week talking about the unity in the body of Christ, but yet the diversity in the body of Christ. The fact that we are one in Christ, but we are all different. 
Some of you are fingers. Some of you are hands. We have armpits in here somewhere. Um, we're still trying to figure that one out. But uh, there are, everyone has a different function. And therefore, we need different gifting. But Paul moves from that thought into where we, we, we connect here today in chapter 13. And he says this at the very end of chapter 12. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will uh, show you a still more excellent way. What Paul is saying is it's more important the why you minister than the how you minister. It's not wrong to desire spiritual gifts. In fact, go ahead, desire them. Pray for them. Be okay with whatever the Lord does in your life. But do not miss this. Do not minister outside of love. Do not miss it. And so he transitions here into chapter 13. That's the context. So how do we do this? I don't know about you, but as I was studying this passage, it was like a wrecking ball in my heart. Literally, I'm like, Lord, am I seriously going to teach this? Man, I have so much work to do. I, I thought I was incredibly loving until I came across this passage this week. And I realized God is showing me some things in my own heart that I need to change. And, and so I'm like, Lord, this is, this is so impactful. It's beautiful, but it's also at the same time, it really is revealing to who we are. We, we read these passages and weddings and these sorts of things, and it's, it's great, but it's not the context. The context is ministering through spiritual gifts to one another. And so the, the, the how we do that is not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. It's only by the Holy Spirit that you and I can effectively have this kind of love for each other because what we understand about the love that's being spoken of in this passage is it's a, it's a God kind of love. It's, it's only available through God. It's not inside of you until the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Now it becomes a fruit in your life. For, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 22 and 23. Out of that love comes joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is the manifestation of love in your life. There is one fruit of the Spirit, and it's love. And love births all of these um, attributes from itself. Listen, you and I, it's impossible for us to love the way that God is calling us to love apart from the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to also understand. It is entirely possible for you to love the way that God calls you to love if the Spirit of God is inside of you. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We read a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we think like, oh man, impossible. Not impossible. Not impossible. The Word of God says that God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's impossible on your own. But it's entirely possible if you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to flow through you. This is what we're talking about. This is exactly what we're talking about in, when we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about the Holy Spirit flowing through us. 
We're talking about not interrupting the flow of the Holy Spirit through the works of the flesh or any other thing. We're talking about surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit so that he can flow through us. The result of that is you will see this kind of love in your heart. You'll be thinking like, why in the world do I love that person? They're horrible. I don't even like that person, but I love them, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, people that are mean to you, you'll find some sort of affection for them. You're like, man, what is wrong with me? Do I have Stockholm Syndrome or something like that? You know, like, what is, is there, listen, that's called the Holy Spirit. That's called becoming like Jesus. When you become like Jesus, you love like Jesus. And the last time I checked, Jesus loved people to death. He loved people to death. I mean, the profound words of Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do as he's hanging bloody from the cross, whipped to a bloody pulp, you know, ready to die. And he's asking for, he's praying for people, the very people that crucified him. It is possible to love the way that we're called to love, but only through the Holy Spirit. Of course, we know, because you guys are Bible students, that the love that we're talking about is agape love. There's all different kinds of, uh, there's three main uh, types of love in the New Testament, but almost every time you read the word love in the New Testament, it's the word agape in the Greek. We could talk about the other definitions, but honestly, they're really not, that's not really what's used primarily in the New Testament. Talk about eros love, which is a love, kind of an erotic love, a love between a husband and wife, that kind of love. It's a sensual love. Phileo love, that's like a family love or a brotherly love kind of thing. Storge love, that, that, that's like a parent to a, a child kind of love. We're talking about agape love here. We're talking about um, the, the, the kind of love that God loves us with. I love uh, Alan Redpath said regarding the word agape. He said the word literally means agony. Agape literally means agony, and rightly so, because it's agonizing to love unconditionally, isn't it? It's agonizing to love unconditionally. Redpath, uh, you know, goes on to say it means the actual absorption of of our being in one great passion. Strictly speaking, agape can't be defined as God's love because men are said to agape sin and the world. But it can be defined as a sacrificial, giving, absorbing love. The word has little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. If you don't get anything out of this today, May you leave here with the idea that if I'm going to love like God is calling me to love, it's going to require self-denial for others. It's going to require me to die to myself in order for that love to come out. Agape love is what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the kind of love that you and I are to allow to flow through us. This self-denying, self-giving kind of love that requires, listen, nothing from the recipient. Requires nothing from the recipient. I'm not loving people because they're loving me back. I'm loving people because I'm loving people. Because I'm loved because he's love. And he's flowing through me and therefore I'm just loving people. Sometimes we, we have such a hard, it's so hard for us to comprehend this idea. When we hear somebody say something against 
the Lord. I was reading this week in on Facebook on us on some some you know group page about how people are tired of Christians telling them about the Lord and all this kind of stuff. And one in particular person was making a comment to their uncle on Facebook in a group. Pretty awesome. That's probably not the place to have that conversation, but it, but it happened. But the person was saying to their uncle, hey, I'm, I don't, some of us don't care what God thinks and all these kinds of things. We don't want to know what the word says. Why don't you just leave that to yourself and blah, blah, blah. And, and here's, it's easy for us to have this, uh, this, this sort of heart towards people like, man, I, I, I can't see how God can love you, but do you know what he does? Do you know that? Like the people that are so against God, he loves them, he loves them the same as he loves you. That's amazing to me. The people that are the most vocal against God, he loves them the same as the people that are the most vocal for him. That's amazing. And that's the kind of love that we're supposed to have. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of work to do to die to self to allow God to flow through me in that way. Because when people offend me, I get offended. And, uh, you know, I'm not loving them the way that I want. I really want them to die. I don't want them to live anymore. No, I'm not. I'm kidding, but they're like, like, whoa, the Lord really does have a lot of work to do with you, man. You probably shouldn't be teaching this passage. Let's get somebody else up here, right? But it's real. You know what I'm saying? It's real. We're being real. We're not trying to fake people out. God knows. God knows how loving you are. He knows how loving I am. And he knows he's got a lot of work to do in us. But listen, it, it can't, it, it's not a work of the flesh. It's a work of the spirit. But um, it takes self-denial in order for the Spirit of God to work through us. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How can we allow, or this morning, how are we going to allow this Holy Spirit to work through us, to flow through us the way that we're, 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 we're called to love people? How can we uh, minister in the way, uh, with the right motive, so that what we're doing is effective? Because what we're going to find out is if you're not ministering with the right motive, it's not effective. It's not going to be effective. You might be totally impressing yourself and good for you, but you're not being effective when it comes to the kingdom work. I don't know about you, but I want to be effective for kingdom work. I want to be effective in, in ministry, and so I want to allow the Lord to speak to me through this, these passages. There's three things I want to show you here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, relating to love. First, that love is paramount. To, in all Christian ministry. Second, love is practical in its manifestations. And thirdly, love is permanent, the greatest of all attributes. We're going to begin with love is paramount in all Christian ministry. And there's three ways in particular love is to be paramount in our speech, in, in any spectacle, and finally in any sacrifice. Look with me at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, if you have, how many of you have ever been ministered to by somebody that their, their ministering annoyed you? Anybody? Like you're like, dude, you're annoying me right now. Why were you annoyed? Were you annoyed because of what they were saying? Because that's totally possible. Like we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, so we're annoyed by what they're saying. That could be possible. But we can also be annoyed because of the way that they're saying it. You know that they're not genuine in what they're saying. You know that really what they're trying to do is elevate themselves in a conversation with you. 
How many of you love that? How many of you guys are just like, man, go ahead and just let your peacock feathers out, man. Go for it. You're so awesome, you know. That, that's so, so not effective, is it? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, if you utilize the gift of tongues, whether it's speaking in the, 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 the language of men or of angels, regardless of the language you're speaking in, and I would say whether you're speaking prophetically in terms of the, the speaking forth of God's word even, in, in, in terms of speaking forth the, word of, the words of men, that if you're not doing it in love, Paul says you're like a, a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That doesn't sound effective to me. Have you ever heard a gong or a cymbal solo? Have you ever? It is horrible. YouTube it. YouTube it today after church. You're like, gong, and listen, I did it for like 30 seconds. I'm a musician, and I'm like, this sucks, man. I don't want to listen to this stuff. This is horrible. Why? Because those, those particular instruments are meant to be complementary. They're not supposed to be up front. They're not supposed to be the forefront of everything. Now, a monster drum solo is awesome with cymbals and those kinds of things, but cymbals on their own solo, I don't care how much of a great drummer you are, it's horrible, and it's not great. I don't, I'm not going to listen to that. You're, you're not going to get my business on that, you know. But Paul is saying, really the point of it is, is he's saying, man, if you're doing these things outside of love, meaning you're not being genuine and pure in the way that you're ministering to people, people will notice. And it's not going to be effective. So in other words, then what we get down to is what is your real motive? If your motive is not love, if you don't care about the other person that you're trying to minister to, then what in the world is your motive to elevate self? That's the point. And that, my friends, is noticeable. People can see these kinds of things. They, can, they understand when people are being prideful and, and when, they're, when they're ministering from a place of pride rather than a place of love. They know that. And it's not effective. It's annoying. It's annoying. Paul says if we want to be effective in ministering to people through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, particularly in this, this context, in the gifts of, through the gift of tongues, then it needs to be in love. It ought not be because I want to be elevated, because I want people to think that I'm super spiritual. That's not going to be effective. We, love must be paramount in any of our speech. That includes quoting scripture, Christian. I think oftentimes, you know, in particular, here we're, the, the, not we, but they, the world, is celebrating Pride Month here. And so, you know, you have all kinds of Christians that are trying all kinds of techniques to reach people that don't want to be reached. Okay, so we're going to put gay flags behind our scripture quotes and these kinds of things, and hopefully that's going to catch the attention of somebody. And listen, I'm not saying don't do what the Lord tells you to do, but ask yourself, is that the Lord? Ask yourself, is that the Lord? I found, and the, the people that are hardest to reach are not going to be reached by a Facebook post, but more so by the Holy Spirit directly or through relationship. You know, if, if you are putting on your Facebook post Leviticus 18.22 and you think that's going to rock somebody's world, it could, but it's probably not going to. They've heard that conversation. They, what they need to hear is that God loves them even though they're in their situation. 
You know, and I would encourage you to jump on um, Out of Egypt Ministries uh, page and, and read. listen to Patty Hyde speak about how to minister to the LGBT community. Um, talk to, talk, you know, get educated on some of these things from people who have been there. By all means, do what God tells you to do. But I'm just saying that that's annoying, even to Christians sometimes, the way that we minister to people online, how we throw scriptures at people. We have really no intentions. It's not coming from a place of love. It's really coming from a place of, um, you know, like I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm so, it's so debaucherous before me that I'm going to let you know how I feel about it. That's really, I think, a lot of the hearts of some people when it comes to ministering in that way. That's not loving. That's not going to be effective. God can use anything, of course. But man, I want to represent him well. I want to represent him right. And trust me, I've had to <laughs> not click some buttons and send some things holding back what I really want to say to people because it's not the Lord. Because it's me. Even with some of my family members who are posting some things that I'm just like, you know. <laughs> Listen, it's far... I have a far more responsibility to the Lord than just to express my opinion to people. And I want to be impactful. Be careful about the way that you're saying things to people, the way that you're utilizing your gifting from the Lord, in particular the gift of tongues here of men or angels. Secondly, love has to be paramount in any spectacle. Look at verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Listen, to the point of any miracle is that God would be seen, not man. The point of any miracle, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, uh, you know, prophetic powers, whether it's, uh, you know, some understanding of some mystery or all knowledge or, or having the faith to, to remove mountains, regardless of what the, the spectacle might be, the point of it is that God is elevated. And, and, and to, the same, to the degree that people understand his love for them, Right, that his love is being shown to them. That can't happen if people are performing miracles for personal gain or notoriety. It's not to say, and I want you to hear this because this is so important. Paul is talking to people who are utilizing spiritual gifts. Notice nowhere in here is he saying these are not real. These are real spiritual gifts. The issue is that they're doing it in the, with the wrong motive. The Holy Spirit is at work, but the problem is the motive is wrong. So these people are doing these sorts of things. They are utilizing the true gift of tongues. They are utilizing the true gift of prophetic powers and, and words of knowledge, words of wisdom, all these sorts of things, and the gift of faith through the Holy Spirit. The problem is their motive is wrong. And now they've, now they've so overemphasized the idea of the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, that became the goal for them in this church. Let's make it all about the spectacle rather than the motive. And that's what Paul is addressing here. That's the direct opposite of what God wants. God utilizes miracles and those sorts of things to reveal himself. Not to elevate man, but to elevate himself. To reveal to the world that he loves the world. That he's here. That he sees people. Even in their darkest moments, he loves them deeply. And that's the point of this, of what he's doing. Through those sorts of things. Paul says, man, if you, if you utilize miracles, any kind of spectacle like this outside of love, 
he says, you're nothing. The world might think you're something, but God thinks you're nothing. Ooh, boy, if that doesn't hurt. The Lord, I care more about what God thinks than I do what the world thinks. I care more about how he, his estimation of me than of, of what anybody else thinks of me. And if he says that I've, I'm operating outside of love, I'm nothing, that, that concerns me. That should concern you. Love is to be paramount in any spectacle. Thirdly, love is to be paramount in any sacrifice. Look at verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, you can offer up all kinds of benevolence to the poor and even your own body to be burned. And if you're not motivated by love, Paul says you gain nothing. But I've sacrificed everything, Lord. Yeah, but you did it for you. You didn't do it for me. You did it for yourself. And so you got your payment. You know, the idea of, you know, rewards in heaven is the idea that, you know, uh, it, we can either be rewarded on earth by getting a pat on the back by man or we can do what we do unknowingly around other people as much as we can anyhow and never taking God's glory and be rewarded in heaven. Which would you rather have? Earth, right? We'd rather have the people pat us on the back. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We would rather have people pat us on the back. Oh, that offends me. Well, that offends me. Because I can, I can honestly tell you that sometimes that is the case for all of us. But we know the reality that the things in heaven, we're to store up our things in heaven, not on earth. We are, love has to be paramount in any sacrifice. Well, love is paramount, but it's also practical in its manifestations. It's not just theory in a book. I, I met a guy one time and he worked for me and he, he wrote a book called God Wants You to Be a Millionaire. The funny thing was the guy was never a millionaire and he wasn't even close to being a millionaire. So it was all theory in a book. He didn't know what it took to be a millionaire. He's not a millionaire, but he's writing a book about being a millionaire. And sometimes we can come to scripture like that as if it's just theory in a book. No, it's not. This is practical stuff. This is real stuff that can manifest itself in your life if you allow, it, if, if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. The secret to success relating to the manifestation of, of love in your life is surrender to the Spirit of God. It's walking in the Spirit of God. It's allowing the Spirit of God uh, to, to move in and through you. It's like, hey, let me get out of the way so that you can, you can do something in the world, literally. Like, you know, I have nothing to offer, but you have everything to offer, so let me get out of the way so that you can do what you want to do through me. It's a matter of surrender, not sweat. It's, not, it's a matter of inspiration, not perspiration. In verses 4 through 7, Paul gives us uh, a practical definition of love. Then he tells us what love does not do. Then he tells us what love does. First, what love is. Love is patient and kind. This is the definition of love. Are you loving? Are you loving? Well, ask yourself this. Am I patient and kind? Love is patient and kind. The definition of love is patience and kindness. 
It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But do you know that that also involves the long-suffering of God? Because some of us have held on to our worldly lives for a long time. Some of us are still holding on to it. And it's God's patience that he allows us to continue on. But it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not his, his um, you know, swift right hand to the, to the backside that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. You can't separate patience and kindness, folks. And, and if you really want to know if you're loving, you ask yourself, am I patient? Am I kind? This is where I was rocked this, this week. You know, we can think that we're patient and kind in, in ways, but we can also be worn thin in certain areas of our life. We're certain trials that we're dealing with or certain people in our lives, and, we're, and then that starts to weigh down on us. And then we ask ourselves, am I loving? Well, are you patient? Are you kind? That's what love is. Love is kind and patient. It, the Lord is so kind and patient to us. And, and the question is, are, how are you? are you? Are you being kind and patient to other people in your life? You being kind and patient. Listen, you can pull your family on this in your home. You can ask your family, am I loving? Well, how do, I, how do you define love? Am I kind and patient? And see what your family says. Those are the ones that know you the best. And then we can say, oh, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And, and trust me, your, your family's already praying for that. Lord, help them. Help them tremendously, God. I pray that they're hearing that. You're getting jabbed in the, the side today. Not only do we see what love is, but now we see what love does not do. Verse 4 Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You know, everything that Paul wrote there in that, in that section is a fruit of pride. Everything that he wrote here is a fruit of pride. It comes from a prideful place. When we let pride overtake, it manifests itself in envy and arrogance. We become boastful and rude. We insist on our own way. It manifests itself through irritation and resentfulness. And it finds pleasure in wrongdoing. Love doesn't operate like this. That's the exact opposite of what we want to be. Those in Corinth were not operating in the fruit of love, but in pride as they ministered the spiritual gifts to one another. And so here becomes the question to us, then how do I know if I'm operating in love or if I'm operating by pride? And I would say there's one simple litmus test. Who's the focus of your ministering? Are you the focus or is somebody else the focus? Are you more worried about you know, people seeing how um, gifted you are in the spirit? Or are you more concerned about their spiritual condition? That you could care less about how they view you? I think that will tell us a lot. When we understand what our focus is, who our focus is when we're ministering, that says a lot about why we're doing what we're doing. I mean, I can't stress enough, God cares about your motive more than anything you're doing. He cares about why you're doing it more than anything. And he tells us right here, these are the kinds of things that love doesn't do. 
you're at a restaurant today after church or actually maybe in the fellowship hall and somebody takes that last piece of pie that you wanted and you're like, how rude are you? All offended and stuff like that. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't get offended and then leave that offense. Love addresses problems. Love, listen, love is not irritable. Man, don't, do not talk to me before 10 o'clock a.m. Before I have my coffee. You know what I'm saying? Love is not irritable. Wow. But here's what love is. Love rejoices with truth, verse 6. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul says here, love rejoices with the truth. Listen, even when it's a hard truth, love rejoices with the truth. Why? Because it's truth. And the truth will set you free. So love cares about being free in the spirit. And it doesn't care about necessarily about how hard it might be for me to swallow the truth. But it cares about the truth because the truth will set you free. Love also bears all things. You know what that word bears means? It literally means covers. Love covers all things. Where have you heard that? Love covers what? A multitude of sins. Lo love bears all things. It's not looking to expose all things. We're not going into the world to expose. You know, we're, we're going into the world as Christ went into the world to bear all things, to cover all things, to minister to people, to do it as quietly as we possibly can, but to be it as truthfully as we possibly can. Right? We cover people. Love believes all things. Not in the sense of being gullible, but in the sense of being optimistic in terms of thinking the best of people. You know, we all know that there are no good people. But there are people that are trying, there's people that are not, right? The people that are trying, you know, what we, what we need to do is just treat everybody like they're trying. And we need to believe in people. How many times have you, have you heard somebody say or, or, you know, seen it in a post somewhere where people say, I've given up on humanity, Really? Well, some of us have not. Because we have a Redeemer that didn't give up on humanity. And he sent servants into the world who are not called to give up on humanity. Who are called to believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And take that message of hope into the world. To believe all things. To believe that God can reach anyone. It doesn't matter who they are or how bad they, they've messed up. God can reach anyone, and so I'm going to believe that. Listen, some of you here today, are, are there's someone in your life right now that you, 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 you've never said this, but you think this, it's impossible for God to reach this person. I've just given up. Listen, today, I, I want you to just say, Lord, I'm sorry for my heart position towards that person, and, that, and, that, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe that you have the capacity to reach that person. Your arm is not too short, Lord. And so I'm going to trust in what you can do. I can do nothing, but you can do anything. And I'm going to trust you with that person in my life. Love hopes all things. It, it remains optimistic, even when, it, when, it's, when what you're seeing suggests that you shouldn't. They're like, man, I don't know how God can use this for the good, but I'm going to hope. With a biblical hope, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to know that I know that I know that He is because His Word says He is. So I'm going to hope in Him.
Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is I know that I know that I know that I know that God is doing something and I'm going to trust in that even though I can't see how it's going to be done. Good thing hope, hope in some things, right? Hope in all things. Lastly, love endures all things. It remains strong even when tested. It, it remains strong even uh, when, when you see failure before you. It endures. It never stops loving. You never give up. You endure. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Charles Spurgeon uh, called these the four sweet companions of love. The four sweet companions of love. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What does love do? Love does that. That's how love operates. Am I loving? Are you operating like this? Listen, love manifests itself in very practical ways, folks. It's rarely in the miraculous, but often in the practical that we see love the most genuine and the most pure. In very simple ways. Kindness. You know, being patient with people. Believing in people. Hoping for people. Enduring through trials with people. That's what love looks like. That's what love does. Well, love is paramount in, in all Christian ministry. Love is practical in its manifestations. Love is also permanent. Look at verse 8. Love never fails. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Listen, all spiritual gifts will eventually end. They will eventually end. Prophecies, it says it right here. Right? It says everything, prophecies will pass away, tongues will cease, knowledge will pass away. Um, this will happen. However, love, it never ends. Love is permanent. Because God is love and we will live forever in a loving home with a loving God, with loving siblings, and there will be no fighting, no arguing, no bickering, no complaining, because love will reign. What a thought. Man, I can't wait for that day. There's coming a day when you're no longer going to have to ask yourself, do I have selfish motives in what I'm doing? Do I have, am I doing this for me, Lord, or am I doing this for you? Am I doing this to be seen, or am I doing this because I'm called? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And there'll be, there'll be coming one day when we won't never have to ask that question again. We won't be relying on, you know, um, any kind of manifestation of the Spirit because we'll be perfect, we'll be transformed, we will be like Christ. We'll never have to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing from a pure place, from a right heart? Am I being loving in the way that I'm, you know, dealing with things? Because love never ends, but all these other things will end eventually. So when will these spiritual gifts end? When, when will that happen? Well, it tells us in verse 9 here when that will happen. It says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mere dimly, but then face to face. 
now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have fully known. So this clearly tells us that we know in part today. We don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. God knows everything. We don't know everything. We see di through a glass dimly today. You know, it, it, those, there are those who, who think they have the corner on truth that think everything that they say is absolutely true. And they might believe that, but the Bible says that we, we only see partly today. And so I promise you, your theology is not perfect. There's some mess ups in there. But you're doing your best and I'm doing my best and that's what God wants from us. And, and so he wants us to see clearly, but you know, we're still in this fleshly body. And so we have this, this, this thing inhibiting us. Scripture says we don't see, we don't know all things. We prophesy in part. So no one has full understanding. Um, Paul, Paul says that we, we see present tense through a mirror dimly, but, but future tense we'll see face to face. So what he's saying is there's going to be clarity. There's going to be an incredible clarity at some point when we see the perfect face to face. That's what he's talking about. He says then, verse 10, uh, then we will see perfectly when the perfect comes. And that's also at the same time when spiritual gifts will cease. So what then is the perfect? This is where, this is the argument where it comes to the cessationist versus the continuist. Are spiritual gifts for today or are spiritual gifts, have they ceased? Uh, we teach from a position of continuationist. We don't believe that they are ceased and I'm going to tell you why here in a second. But those who ascribe to the cessationist um, theology, they believe that uh, the perfect is either one of two things. It's either the Word of God, which many ascribe to that, which we have the completed Word of God, Genesis through Revelation, so that's the perfect in, in their, their mind. So when the perfect is come, therefore we, 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 we do see ourselves clearly in, in those sorts of things. Um, so when the perfect is come, um, then, then the spiritual gifts will cease, right? Uh, and then there are those who say, no, the perfect is not the Word of God. The perfect is Jesus Christ, who is the Word, right? And so, so there's, that, there's that sort of understanding. Now, it's interesting that cessationists, even within their own camp, they have a division on the, the perfect because some of them believe it's the Word of God, but some of them believe it's the eternal state. So it's, it's when we go to heaven, then that's the perfect, right? And, and, and yet... They're still cessationists because they believe that when the, the Greek phrase there, when, when, uh, they, they believe tongues have ceased. Um, they don't believe that prophecy has ceased or, uh, you know, those sorts of things. But they do believe tongue has ceased because of the phrase there, will cease, is not passive but in the middle voice, indicating that tongues will stop by themselves. Now, notice, even if that's the case, let's say that that is, even though many Greek scholars disagree with that translation or that, the way that they see that, let's say that is the case, it still doesn't say it's going to stop at the apostolic age, which is what cessationists say. All miraculous gifts have stopped at the apostles. Where is that in the Bible? I don't see that anywhere here. Well, even if, even if um, you know, the, the perfect is certainly not the word of God because we don't know fully we don't know fully as we're known. We don't see clearly 
as we will one day when we're transformed and changed in the twinkling of an eye when we're like Christ. And so the reality of it is, is that there's no biblical case for cessationism. Here's what happened. People were incredibly offended by the abuse of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the miraculous. And there are a lot of fake things that happen, folks. There are a lot of fake things that happen even to this day. You know, you have Benny Hinn who talks about, um, you know, these miracles and stuff. And the, even his own son says a lot of that stuff was fake. Like they planted people in the congregation to do these sorts of things, right? Why? To conjure up. You know, whether they're fleecing the flock to get money. I don't know what the, what the motive is, but it's not pure. And so you have this abuse of all of these kinds of things. And so people would, would rather not deal with it at all. I don't think that's an honest take of Scripture. I don't think it's an honest take of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to believe that, uh, you know, what it's, what it's suggesting is that in the apostolic age, that, that, these, that, that only tongues will cease, by the way. Not all these other things, because they haven't ceased yet. Prophecies hasn't, hasn't ceased. It's the, forth come, the speaking forth of God's Word. That hasn't ceased yet. But that will cease, at, you know, when we go to heaven um, but, but tongues have ceased now. It's because of the, the abuse of the spiritual gifts, folks. I believe it's, it's a man-made thing. You know, we want to be biblical in what we believe. Feel free to believe what you, you know, I mean, do your work, do your homework on it. You're, you know, we're not going to divide over it because it's not something we should divide on. But I don't see it in Scripture. I don't see how you can be a cessationist and read the Bible for what it says. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Because nowhere in here does it say... Tongues will cease at the apostolic age when, when it closes, when who, you know, if Paul was the last apostle or John died the last or whatever, then that, that was the close of the apostolic age and, you know, the tongues have ceased. I don't see that in Scripture. But I do believe when Christ comes, there'll be no need for any of these. And I think that's what it's talking about. The second coming of Christ, when we are transformed and changed, when we are with Him, we will be will be known as we're fully known. Paul goes on here in verse 13. He says, So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Listen, you can have all the faith in the world, and that's really great, but faith is not the greatest attribute of godliness is not the greatest of all these things. You can have all the hope in the, in the world in every situation and as great as that is, that's not the greatest. Love is the motive by which we must operate in all things in this world and because love is the greatest of all things, love is what will make the miraculous gifts believable and life-changing. Apart from love, they will not accomplish what they're supposed to accomplish. Love is what will make the difference. I want to close with this story. This is so impactful. There was a, a, a young man that wanted to be a, a, you know, a soul winner. And um, he didn't come from a place where he was highly educated or anything. He finished the eighth grade and uh, went on to, you know, into adulthood and whatnot. But he had this heart, his burning desire to be a witness for Christ. And the Lord put on his heart this, this brilliant attorney in his hometown and the Lord said, I want you to go talk to him about me. 
This man, not, not very educated at all, goes in and he, he loves Jesus and he wants to tell this guy about Jesus. Makes an appointment with him. He goes in and talks to him and he says, you know, and, and every, everything he's, he tries to bring up about Jesus, this attorney has some rebuttal because he's, he's a great arguer. You know, he's somebody who does this for a living. So everything he brings up about sin or everything he brings up about his need for Christ, this guy has some sort of rebuttal to where the man who wants to be the soul winner for Christ is so turned around in his thoughts and everything. He's been spun around by this guy's intelligence that he, he says, listen, I, I just want to, I'm so sorry for, for wasting your time, but I just wanted you to know that I love you. And so he, he went home and he felt like such a failure, and he told his wife, you know, I'm going to so, go sulk up in, the, in my, the bedroom. I don't want to see anybody. I just, you know, just let me be with the Lord for, a period, for, for today, and, and, you know, hopefully I'll get over this. And so not too long after, he went upstairs and, you know, totally discouraged. We can all relate to this guy, man. Totally just feeling like I have... I'm such a failure, Lord. I can't believe that I failed. You gave me an opportunity. Look what I did. Pretty soon, he gets a knock at the door. His wife answers the door. And she says, hey, the, the guy, the, it's the attorney. And he says, hey, is your husband around? I, I like to talk to him. And she said, well, he's not feeling very well. So, you know, he's asked that, that nobody come and visit or whatnot. And, and he said, oh, I think he'll want to talk to me. And so uh, she said, well, let me, let me ask him. And so she went and grabbed him and said, would you like to talk to this attorney guy? And he said, well, I guess. How can he humiliate me anymore, right? So he comes in the room and, and he says, uh, he said, listen, I don't, I don't want to bother you. Um, but I, I want to tell you something, you know, and he said, what are you going to do? You're going to try and argue with me more? Tell me about how, what I believe is fake and all those sorts of things? What, what are you going to, I mean, I really don't want to hear that, right? Because everything that I said to you, you had an argument for. And he said, that's true. Everything you did say, I did have an argument for. Except for one thing. The one thing that you said to me is that you love me. And that I could not argue with. So I want you to tell me how to receive Christ. Because I want to be... I want to have what you have because you can have all the intelligence in the world. You can have the ability to convince people about all kinds of things, but you cannot fake love. You cannot fake love. And because of that, I want what you have. And the guy knelt down and received Christ. There, here's what you need to understand. His spiritual gifts are awesome. They're great. We want to see the manifestation of the spiritual gifts. We want everything that the Lord wants for us, right? But the greatest thing that God wants for you is to be, to allow his love to flow through you to touch people's lives. It's not so much about how you minister to people, but it's why you minister to people. It's all about the motive of ministering. Listen, you will be far more effective by just loving people right where they are. You might not have all the right words and have all the right, you know, ways to explain, you know, the Trinity and all these kinds of things. But put all of that aside because what matters most is that you demonstrate the love that God has for people and that God has for you. The worst thing that a Christian could do is become so focused on having everything, every word correct but be missing the most important element and that is love.
Love never ends. And I'm thankful for that this morning because it's God's love that impacted my life and it's God's love that impacts your life. So why do we think it'll be any different when we go out into the world and we minister to people? Why do we think it's going to be something else? It won't be. Let the love of God flow through you. Let the Holy Spirit, of course, do what he wants to do. But make sure you're operating with the right motive in the way that you minister. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for, Lord, this time together. This is a very different take on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And yet I, I think this is the scriptural stance, the context of what you've laid out in scripture here today. You desire for your people to minister with the same love that we've been ministered to with. And Father, we understand that that is not, um, not within our flesh to do, but it's only in your spirit. Your word tells us that you've poured out your love in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And Father, for some of us here today, we, we have, there's an interruption somewhere in our heart where that love is not flowing as, as well as it should be. And so we ask you, God, as we, as we consider your word this morning, as we consider what's been said, that your Holy Spirit just minister to us, Lord, in those areas. Again, what your heart for us is that we would recognize where we've fallen, we would, come, we would repent, and we'd return to you in whatever areas we've, we're messing up in. Your desire for repentance is for restoration. Not to expose, but to heal. And so we ask you this morning, God, would you, would you touch those areas in our heart that we are missing the mark? when it comes to the motive of love? Will you come right now, Lord? Will you give us the conviction that we need to turn, to turn to you? Father, here we are. We're going to be at your table here in just a second where we hold the elements of pure love, love that was poured out for us, literally in a physical sacrifice through your son Jesus Christ. The only means of the forgiveness of our sins, Lord. And so we ask you, Father, as we consider that, that we also at the same time weigh our hearts and, you know, consider, are we allowing that, that love, the same love that Jesus loved us with, to flow through us into this world? if we're not, Lord, we repent, we turn away, we turn to you. Father, I want to ask if there's anyone here in this place this morning that doesn't know you, that needs forgiveness for their sins, Lord, that wants to be reconciled, that wants to, they understand, Lord, that, that you sent your son, Lord, to die on a cross for all sinners. That includes every person in this room, every person online, every person listening later. Your son is the perfect sacrifice and he died for our sins. And so if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ, before we partake of communion, that this is the whole point, is that we're remembering what Christ has done. If that's you this morning, as we continue to pray, will you lift your hand? I want to lead you in a prayer. Is there anyone here this morning that is not forgiven for their sins? You don't know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven? 
God wants to forgive you this morning. He loves you. He doesn't want to expose you. He wants to heal you. He wants to uh, totally transform your life. If you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord, just lift your hand up. I'll pray a prayer with you. If you're online, you could do the same thing. Will you pray this prayer with me? Father, I come in Jesus' name and I ask that you forgive me for my sins. Lord, I miss the mark. And I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed of my sin, Lord. I thank you for the blood of Christ. I thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. I put all my faith in what he's done. And nothing that I can do. But I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Thank you for raising him from the dead so that I can too be raised from the dead. So I trust in you this morning, Lord. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Have your way in me. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.